Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Goomba Stomp. This is Anime Ichiban. As always, I'm joined with Matt and Kyle. Joined by Matt and Kyle, even. Uh, Kyle, how are you doing? I am doing quite good. I am nearly at the bottom of my cup of coffee, so I am feeling like a functional Wait, human being. Wait, important question. Of coffee. Oh, that too. <laughs> Silence. Good start. What type uh, of coffee was the Matt, question? Oh, sorry, I was taking a sip. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Great start. I was going to ask, is your, is your coffee mug a weeb coffee mug? That's the important part. It, it unfortunately isn't. I don't think I have any weeb coffee cups. It's probably something I should... Right. invest in no it's of it it's it's a cup of dogs and a cup of dogs like cartoon bones oh. well it's from an old roommate of mine who was really lazy and left all of his stuff with us when uh me and my current roommate moved i he he he's just a friend who like lives an hour away now and he comes up and visits he's just super lazy and doesn't pick up his shit david pick up your mugs <laughs> all right david you heard him <laughs> Anyways, Matt, how are you doing? Yes, my side. <laughs> my turn. Uh, yeah, so I've been busy packing and getting ready for a trip that I'm doing next weekend, going up to New Hampshire with some friends. Uh, we got an old school log cabin, literally just a log cabin, no electricity, no running water, um, no phone service. So yeah, we're, it's, it's going to be rough and tumble, but it's it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it, just kind of getting away from it all for a weekend and uh uh, enjoying nature, hopefully. The weather looks like it'll be pretty nice, so fingers crossed. We'll see. But yeah, been a pretty busy weekend getting all prepped for that. New England vacations. Those are those are those are fun. I as I, I went to school. Oh, okay. In, um, so yeah, I, there that was a lot more woods than I've ever handled <laughs> in my life. And yeah, New England's New England's fun. It's very it's very it's like. It is definitely like the stereotypical Americana that you see just like posted everywhere when people like are you know showing off. Oh man, look, this is what this talking about like pop culture and American identity. Yeah, it's usually like New England stuff that gets uh, put around the like red brick American flags waving kind of stuff. But <laughs> New England's fun. I think I, I think I get to what you mean. Yeah. Anyways, going on to the land of anime, uh, so what we wanted to talk about first today is a shonen, and specifically how to make a long-running shonen series work, how to make it good. Uh, obviously, in a lot of anime, shonen series can drag on for like hundreds of episodes, uh, and sometimes they work, but sometimes they just become bogged down with filler episodes, uh, really awful pacing. And by the end of it, people just kind of watch it to get to the end rather than watch it because they're legitimately enjoying it. Uh, I've been watching One Piece recently for the first time in like forever uh, because I, I always kind of avoided it because of how many episodes it is. It's I think it's approaching 900, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah. But I've been really enjoying it. I, I think I'm on episode 150 something and I, I'm having a really good time. And admittedly, uh, the pacing's far from perfect and uh, there are filler episodes, but Overall, I think it holds up really well today, considering it was done quite a long time ago now. Uh, I'm having a good time with it. But I'm also aware One Piece is kind of regarded as one of the better animes of that genre. You've then got kind of Bleach and Naruto, which get more of a bad rep when it comes to filler and pacing. But I want to say to you guys, uh, what do you think about long-running animes? How do you think it works? How do you think studios can get it right and make a 
200 plus episode series that is consistently strong uh i'll go to you first kyle i mean it's hard especially with anime um and like you don't even have to look at long-running series um to like see the issues that can arise from it like taking a look at the original 2003 full metal alchemist anime uh that came out when um oh my god i arakawa that's her name uh the author was still writing the manga um yeah so they were like oh man this is getting pretty popular let's make an anime about it but it's not finished so we'll completely like change the story uh, in, you can't even I, say change the story at that point because the story wasn't there. It's just like, well, I, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's the weird thing. It's like they they take like the characters, and it's it's weird because you you have characters that are made by one writer, and then you pass it off, presumably to a team of writers, because it's going to be you know a show which is a larger, more money and time intensive endeavor than just you know writing a manga. And there's, like, stuff can get lost in translation. People have different ideas of what a character should do. And you just get into a bunch of whole, like, iffy stuff. Um, so I, it's been a while since I've watched, like, a, a long-running shonen, but I'd imagine they'd run into, if not the same issues, then similar issues in storytelling where it's like, okay, well, you know, this dude we need to give him time to come up with, you know, a few new chapters before we can have a new season. So let's put in filler. And I, mm. I, the, the impression that I have always gotten is that filler tends to not be that great. And, you know, it's like filler has a negative connotation to it. Right. And yeah. as far as filler goes, it's not just um, the existence of filler, because I feel like my hero proved that filler can be done well um, because you had, Oh, that's right. Because Kyle, you haven't watched any of the anime, right? You've only read. I the have manga. no. I've only read the manga. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, um, the anime had an anime original episode. It was while the students were doing their internships. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. um, so they had a whole episode uh, with Sue at her internship. Um, that was not in the manga at all. It was a completely one hundred percent anime original episode, but it matched in the universe. It matched with what was going on at the time, and it expanded upon in a meaningful manner in this character. Um, that's people have a lot of interest in Sue is one of the most popular characters in that show by far mm -hmm. for sure and um, it was just and most importantly it was in and out it didn't overstay its mm -hmm. welcome it um, got its job done it gave people a little bit more insight in the character and then it went right back to the main story whereas yeah. the fillers for the other big three shows Bleach especially was horrible about this hmm. Bleach is meant to be fucking awful because yeah. it just apparently has so many fillers it's yeah. just really really appallingly done and it would just be in the middle of an arc too like it wouldn't even be in between arcs it'd be like they're going through Mundo in the desert and suddenly oh no we're gonna do this other uh, filler arc really quickly first that has absolutely nothing to do completely removed from the timeline and everything and then we're gonna come back mm. to the main story as if nothing happened and so that's just a really bad disconnect and that's the whole reason i dropped bleach as well and it, ironically i dropped it at the one filler arc that was apparently really good <laughs> and all the sword swords came to life apparently that was a really good filler arc and that's when i dropped it <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah i think it's important for these studios to have breaks in between seasons like my hero is doing uh it's not just plowing through 
every single season, they're giving the studio a break. And more importantly, they're also giving the manga a period of time to uh, write more. To cut ahead. Yeah. yeah. And they're dividing the seasons up in logical areas, too. Like, they're, they're at the end of arcs. They're, there might be, like, some hanging questions at the end. Where is it going to go now? But it's not like people are dying to see the next episode. They're satisfied with what they have. So I feel like, what's the studio doing, My Hero? Do either of you know? I can't remember. Uh, oh, it's uh, Bones. Bones, yeah. I feel like Bones pacing out the episodes have done an extremely good job mm -hmm. in that regard. I, and it's something that the other long-running shonens can learn from. I think what's really cool about My Hero, because they've got a filler episode next week. Right. But I feel like they're not putting it in because they've ran out of content. It's not bad at all. There's obviously quite a few story arcs ahead. But it's because they simply need it so it rounds up to the correct number of episodes. Because if they maybe went ahead, they'd sort of be spilling it over into the next story arc right. by the time they reach the end of the series. So we just thought we'll put in this extra episode just so we can kind of work the narrative better. And, and I think that's all right. And because it's only one episode, I can't really complain too much. If they said we're doing now a, a six-episode filler arc, it's just like, oh, do we need that? That's a big chunk of time, mm -hmm. and it's not really needed. Uh, I do think filler episodes can work. I think if you're going to do filler show something that's legitimately really interesting. So, for example, something I wish they'd show, and uh, Kyle, as someone who's reading the manga, you can confirm this. Um, a small spoiler here for, for the current state of affairs with My Hero Academia, but uh, when All Might retires, after that it's announced very, very briefly that Best Genist has retired from hero work temporarily, and uh, Ragdoll has lost her powers mm -hmm. because of All for One. But that's just announced over like a sort of uh, an episode like intermission card. So it's really brief. And I was thinking, I don't know if they discuss that later, but if they don't, I'd love to see a filler episode where they actually show Best Genius going into retirement and Ragdoll did. Yeah. She doesn't have powers. I was going to bring up the uh, episode when they first moved into the student dorms and how there was absolutely zero action in that um, episode. And the content of that episode is filler-like content. Because when you think about it, if you removed that entire episode from the series of them like going through each other's rooms and doing a little contest, and you just had like yeah. a small scene in an episode, you wouldn't, yeah, no. of just, them just like <laughs> moving in, like that wouldn't have detracted anything mm -hmm. from the story overall. Um, and that's technically filler content where it's not necessary, but it just adds so much to the characters. You learn so much yeah. about them, and like I said, they. Mm -hmm gave that episode just as much attention as, okay, maybe not as much as, I was going to say, as, as the uh, one for all fight. <laughs> maybe not quite, but like, it's not a disparaging amount. There's no dissonance between yeah. that. And mm. that's something that's really important because you don't want your viewers to be like snapping their fingers like, okay, come on, let's get on with it. Let's get to the good stuff. Because then that's when it starts to feel like a chore to watch. That's when it's a drag yeah. and you start falling off of it. And that's a trap that a lot of shonen fall into. Oh, the funny thing is as well, like that episode moving into dorms, it's genuinely one of my favorite episodes of the whole series mm -hmm. because I just found it so genuinely lovely to watch. Exactly. There's so many great mm -hmm. character moments. And even though it's not fully needed, I kind of feel like it sort of is. It's almost like a settling in period. There's this whole new aspect to the series now, a whole new narrative dynamic, and it has to introduce that properly. It has to properly say, this is what's going on now. This is what... This is where they're all living. And I think if they had just put in a, a brief five-minute scene, it would have felt too short. You would have just thought, well, hang on, they've, they've made this huge change and they've just glossed over it. 
And I, I almost feel like mm-hmm. you needed an episode to properly delve into the idea of here they are, they're doing this now, and this might not be fully essential, but you should try and kind of settle in alongside the students settling in. And to me, that's what that episode was. It was a settling in episode. It settles you into this new uh, narrative aspect. And I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. And then they put in so many funny character moments just to keep up the entertainment value. And in the end, you just think that was a great episode. There were so many great moments. Uh, it highlighted certain characters that you didn't know particularly much about. Um, and yeah, it was just awesome. I love that episode. Octopath Traveler, <laughs> um, but yeah, well, like j- just like going off of this whole topic of you know, long-running narratives, you know, aside from anime, like JRPGs are up there with you know stuff that will easily take you a, a few months to get through. I'm still not done with Persona Five. <laughs> oh man, you've got to finish all, it. I'm, I'm you've got to finish it. I'm 120 hours oh, in. Dude. You're right at so... the end. You're right at the end. I I am I am. Have you, have you enjoyed but it's it? Kyle? Like, oh my god! I. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a whole other can of worms. Oh. Uh yeah. I hmm, this is well, potentially a topic for you know another episode, but I, I'm very split. Ooh. About Persona Five, I think it's incredibly overrated. Oh wow! I I like it. There is a lot. There is so much that it does well, but there is so much that it doesn't. I hate the story. Really? I hate the story so much. The main narrative is predictable anime trash, which is terrible because I love the characters so That's much. That's really interesting that you say that because I actually, I hate the majority of video game stories. I think they're really underdeveloped and not particularly well told. Uh, but Persona 5's narrative is probably the only video game story that I'd say I legitimately adore. And even though you could say it's predictable anime kind of stuff, I think it's bolstered so well by its characters. I think its characters are wonderful and they carry what is an admittedly predictable but overall a really enjoyable narrative. Um, But that's just me. It's my fifth favourite game of all time. So (laughs) I'm a big fan. (laughs) And kind of tying that back into Octopath, it's like that that is like Octopath doesn't really have a central narrative. Um, which granted, you know, it's it's the approach that it's taking, given how it's telling its story, but it it doesn't necessarily work because you still need something to tie everything to. Yeah, that's right. like oh, sorry, Matt. Yeah. Oh, so I was just gonna say it's yeah, like you said, it is the deliberate approach that uh, Square Enix and Acquire took to their storytelling. It's arguably something that we haven't seen before quite to this extent mm-hmm. uh and it definitely threw me for a loop at first i had already tempered my expectations a little bit uh before getting the game from the previous i was hearing but it still was very jarring when you get your not so much your first secondary party character but by the time you have a full party character especially when you're getting to the chapter twos when they're just not interacting with each other at all when you defeat a boss like yeah i did this on my own it's like no 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 you had three other people helping you mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it was definitely very jarring for me but and i know this isn't something that people can uh, everyone can easily do but i eventually just came to accept that aspect of the game it's like okay this is just how it is i'm just going if i just need to view each of these eight stories on their own and evaluate them on their own and if you view this as 
a story of right. like personal growth for these characters. And once I took that mindset, I started to enjoy it a lot more because a lot of the stories, most of them are very, very, very strong. And I've only completed three of them. I'm on chapter fours for all of them, but I've only completed Ophelia, Primrose, and Tressa's. And with the exception of Tressa, which I thought could have been a little bit stronger, Ophelia and Primrose's were very, very good endings and very good story arcs overall. Um, and mm -hmm. I appreciate that because it's kind of like opening up a storybook each night. And I only play like one chapter a night, maybe two if I'm really feeling it, especially mm -hmm. with the chapter mm -hmm. fours because they get really hard. They get really hard. <laughs> um, yeah, That's good. Um, but yeah, it's just something that it's really easy to snuggle up with and get cozy with. And I, I really enjoy that atmosphere. But at the same time, those moments come up, especially with the little travel banters um, where they do interact with each other. It's like, man, boy, do I wish we could have just got a little bit more of this just to tie uh, it all together. Yeah. I hear there is something like that mm -hmm. at the very, very end of the game once you complete all the chapters, but it's not quite what people are looking mm -hmm. for. But still, you, yeah. when, right. you, when you put it right at the end, most people won't get to it. Or if you do, it just feels like it's such a long way away. Mm -hmm. I'm in two minds about it because I think it raises an interesting argument as well about linearity in games. A lot of people really hate linear games. Um, mm -hmm. And this is seen quite heavily in, let's take Final Fantasy 13, for example. I don't know if either of you guys have played it, but it's an extremely divisive game in the Final Fantasy uh, oh, yeah. fan base. Because it's so linear for the first kind of two thirds of it, I played through it when I was maybe about sixteen, and I'm I'm in a minority here. I love the Final Fantasy thirteen trilogy, thirteen thirteen two and Lightning Returns. I think they're really really fun games. Uh, and whilst you know the story's not much, I get it. I think the actual combat, the core gameplay, is really really enjoyable. Um, but anyway, so this isn't about Final Fantasy, but uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy thirteen, the linearity didn't bother me because it kind of, it allowed them to tell a story. Uh, yeah, the story wasn't great, admittedly. It's not particularly memorable, but it gave them that easy freedom to tell the narrative with all the characters interacting the way they wanted. When you make a game like Octopath, <laughs> where you can have any character in your party at any time and you can sort of, yeah, you, you kind of do it however. It does mean you struggle to tell that story. I kind of would have liked if they did this instead. You start the game and you have to recruit every single character to begin with, which admittedly people would be annoyed about. It's quite a linear kind of affair then. But I would have quite liked it if they did that. And then instead of having to kind of swap your characters out at taverns, I wish you could just swap them out on the fly so then the idea is... Everything you do from chapter two onwards, all the characters are with you. So then you could show mm -hmm. future kind of cutscenes in future chapters and you know all the characters are there because you've mm -hmm. recruited all the characters. So chapter two onwards, mm -hmm. you've got all the characters in your party. Uh, only four of them are active, but the other four are in your presence. So you could then have them interacting. You could then have them talking. So if you're doing Tress's storyline, uh, the others will pop up because they're there, you've met them. And I would have actually liked if they just went slightly more linear at the beginning to mean that they could then have more narrative freedom. I think that would have paid off. Hmm. See, it's it's a bit of an interesting situation because, yeah, Octopath definitely does have, like, as far as video games go, one of the more unique approaches to telling its story that I've seen. But, I and I it got meant, 
it got discussed um, around the Goombastown team when the game first came out. But I, I, as as time went on and as I kept playing, I really enjoyed how, and I don't mean this with a negative connotation, how piecemeal the the story was given. Just because I am, and I'm sure this is my personal bias going into it, but I am a huge. I I grew up reading fan fiction. I grew up having head cannons and stuff like that, and filling in the blanks. And I am a big proponent of that in giving, you know, your audience, uh, give, giving your players, uh, like, bits and pieces and having them piece it together themselves. It's why I like how I, I really like the way Dark Souls and, you know, other games of that narrative style tell their story. Give, the, like, let the player make it themselves because you're giving them that agency to create their own story effectively. And Octopath yeah. gives you so much to work with. It is so easy for me to close my eyes at any given moment and just imagine <laughs> how these characters are acting. It is, it is so yeah. simple and it's yeah. incredible how they do that with simple pixel art. Like, Granted, it is a very unique style of pixel art over the 3D environments, but overall it's still like very low detail, um, details actually shown. It is so easy to just imagine this wide, sprawling world and all these characters going about. The towns are so have so much life to them. They're, each town feels so unique mm -hmm. from the other. It is incredible how much world building and character building this uh, game has done. Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if I'd be able to <laughs> do the same thing if they, yeah, handed just handed everything out to you on a spoon. Yeah, well, like. And kind of tying this back to how we were talking about, you know, how shonen series tell their stories over long periods of time, um, and what Hero Academia does particularly well is that it gives, you know, a good amount of attention, like even to side characters that you know show up for a scene. And what I really liked about Octopath is that it picked and chose the NPCs you would interact with, because I absolutely hate it in JRPGs when everybody has. A dialogue box, and eventually I realized I I don't I don't I don't right. care what you have to say, like that, that's eventually what Persona Five got down to. Like everybody in that game on the street has something to say, yeah. and ninety percent <laughs> of the time I don't give a I, shit. I, to be fair, I don't speak to any of the NPCs in Octopath Traveler because I just know really it's not going to mean much. Um, and when I do speak to them, it doesn't mean much. It's just miscellaneous dialogue. But it doesn't really tell me particularly much at all. So, uh, yeah. Right, that's fair. But what Octopath does um, is with um, Alphans and Cyrus's uh, path actions. Yeah, with Inquire. Which is where, you know, yeah, Inquire. And they are effectively like Dark Souls kinds of descriptions where it paints a very quick but effective picture of who that character is and how they fit. And into some the of them are, oh, wow. Some of them are great, and some of them are like yeah. pretty intense. Yeah, I think there was one uh, I was in. Uh, it was Ripple Tide. No, not Ripple Tide. Um, what's a Grand Port? That's it. The last place where Tressie goes. Oh man, and, that uh, theme for that city is so great. I love that. It music is theme. it is really good. Oh, I will just add quickly: the music of Oxpath Traveler is really really good. Gorgeous. Um, yeah. But yeah, in one in one of the houses, there was an old lady. And it said that actually it's somebody disguised as an old lady and they're like 32 and they're an assassin. Oh, and yeah. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> so, yeah, there are some really cool descriptions 
I, I'm really enjoying Octopath Traveler. I think it's really good. Uh, one of the things I would like to see, okay, this is away from everything we've been discussing, but this is something I would love. Uh, I'm a bit of a completionist when it comes to games. I like to try and do everything. Mm-hmm. And that includes getting all the chests and kind of unlocking all the little secrets. Mm-hmm. I would really love a bit of a sort of integrated checklist. So if you hovered over a location mm-hmm. on your map, oh, if it yeah. could tell you how many oh, chests yeah. you have in that area, how many secrets you found or something so you could see oh shit i'm missing one of the purple chests so i'm missing one of the red chests there i need to go and look again or like there's a a secret shrine or a secret tomb nearby that you've not found i'd really really love that because right. then you can kind of go through ticking everything off uh, or in some of the towns it could say mm-hmm. like this is how many npcs you've uh scrutinized or how many npcs you've challenged or whatever just to see what do i have left to do because yeah. leaving it without that, I know it's a silly point, but I would really, really love for more games uh, to integrate checklists for completionists, for people who want to do everything. I'd lo- I would I do love it yeah. when games kind of... Because it's, it's always something I thought, like if you're a developer and you're making a game, surely you should want players to discover everything and to find everything or to like just really enjoy all the aspects of that game you have on offer. But sometimes like they, they hide it but it's not like meant to be hidden. Do you know what I mean? If, if they deliberately hide a secret, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it could just be like a regular side quest, but they make it really hard to find. And it's like, it just, it gives a subtle indicator so then players yeah. can actually enjoy the really cool stuff you've made. And I feel like an Octopath, again, like, I mean, not too much, but there's times where it's like, players could miss these really right. cool little elements right. because you've not put a checklist in. Um, it could even be just literally a chest with a really cool item in. But they could easily miss mm-hmm. that chest with that cool item. Um, as a bit, oh, oh, yes, yeah, okay. Um, well, as as a bit of a counterpoint to that, like I, I'm somebody who isn't really a completionist. I like it irks me every time in a lot of JRPGs whenever I see like X out of Y collected. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do any of this. Mm-hmm. Please just let me. It's play like the game. wagging its finger at you. It's like and, naughty boy, you didn't do everything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's like it, it, like it, it irks the WoW player inside of me who is like, oh my god, my quest log is full, and I'm like, I don't know where any of this is, and I don't want to like, I just want to play the game, and I don't want to like again. This is me personally. Yeah. I, I don't want to tick off checklists. I just want to focus on, you know moving through the game, experiencing the story, and, you know, having fun fights. And that's what I think Octopath tried to do. Um, Whether or not it did it well is definitely up to debate. But what I really enjoyed is that they kind of just flood the game with stuff. Yeah. And because at some point they kind of just... And what, what I get the impression... The impression that I get is that they were banking on the players or you know, players who don't really care about completionist aspects, at some point realizing, I don't really need to worry exactly. about this, and I'm just going to collect and interact with what comes across my way, and if I miss stuff, it's fine. Yep, and that's exactly what I wrote about, too. It's just like it's such an organic experience like that. It, does, it mm-hmm, doesn't mm-hmm. expect you to know. It's like, oh, this NBC is talking about exactly this item on the opposite side of the world. I need to go get that. It's like, no, the game <laughs> doesn't expect to do Ugh. that. It just expects you to keep that, file that in the back of your mind. And then when you come across and you get a La Pisa Lajula, it's like, oh, yeah, wasn't there a guy looking for one of these back when? And then you just bring it to him, and it's great. But also going back to that, uh, it's uh, the surprising thing about Octopath is obviously it's very old school and proud of it. 
Uh, but it's from many of the same creators as Bravely Default, which Bravely Default is also got a lot of those old school mechanics, but at the same time, it has a lot of systems in place to fine tune and tweak your experience. For example, they had an ability that you can turn on and off that would show you how many treasure chests were left in the area. So if you want it, you can turn it off. If you didn't want it, you could turn it off. You mm-hmm. could adjust the I, encounter rate. You can adjust the gonna, difficulty on the fly. But, but none of that is in the that, yeah. but I've never played Bravely Default, but that is so awesome. Right. And I was going to say, I'd love it if games have the option, like if you want to turn on a checklist, so as a completionist, mm-hmm. you can go through. It could be that you want to play through the game normally, play through to the end and not worry about that stuff. But afterwards, it might be, you know what? I want to go through the game now. I've beaten the last boss. I want to find all the stuff I've missed. And, you know, I I'm, I want to, like, discover all those extra bits, give players the option. And that leads me to another thing. And as far as I know, Octopath doesn't do this, which is great, but I don't think there's any missables in Octopath. Nothing is missable or, like, permanently lockable or whatever. And I right. think that's really good. Mm-hmm. I love it when games... Mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild was the same. Breath of the Wild, like, a huge game of so much to do, but nothing is missable. And I think that's so respectful to players. Because it's basically saying to them, you can do anything you want and don't worry, you won't fuck up. Mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild, it was kind of like, you know, you can drop stuff somewhere, you can cut down trees and do whatever, and it's all cool. When you leave and go back, it'll be all good. And some people don't like that. Some people like permanence to what you do. Uh, Skyrim, for example, like if you do, if, if you go into a random place in Skyrim and drop a sword, that sword will still be there like 50 hours later. I hate that. Because it's what? <laughs> like as as far as far as huh. I know, anyways. As far as I know, I've not played Skyrim loads, but as far as I know, like when you leave stuff in the world, when you do stuff in the world, it remains there. It's permanent. I might like based on your reaction. I'm now doubting myself, but <laughs> as far as I know, like I, I mean, I know to be fair in those games, a lot of stuff is lockable. Like you can miss quest lines, you can lock mm. stuff. Right. I don't like that personally. Some people love it. Some people love mm. it's like an organic uh, kind of. Ele- there's an element of permanence to stuff but i really like when games in my opinion respect the players and kind of say hey it's all good there's no consequences to you fucking around burn stuff chop things down blow things up drop your items here put them over there and it's all good when you leave we'll tidy up for you and it will look good as new by the time you come back and i really really like that i loved it in breath of the wild uh in an octopath i know it's not the same kind of game but nothing's missable Right, you, you you're not penalized for experimenting. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. You can experiment and fuck around and know that you're not going to lock yourself out of any side quests or any uh, items or whatever. Yeah. Um, I really like that. Yeah. One thing I will say. Yeah, and like, higher. oh well, and I got to be honest, like that, like missable stuff. Like I, I do love that games, games in general are trending towards that, where it's like, they don't punish the player for not doing things. Because that was honestly what I really didn't like about Persona when I first started getting into it. The fact that like I would look up guides and it's like, oh, make sure like if you wanna, you know, like get this character's like scene or whatever, like you have to do this thing before this yeah. time. It's like, no, fuck that. No, I don't want I don't want to have to look up a guide before playing a game to figure out how I want yeah, to play the but- game. That is, that not is fun. one thing with Persona that I'm even divided on because that doesn't really fit into my wheelhouse of what I like. Uh, I kind of got around it because I, I've i done two playthroughs of Persona 5 now and I, I like that it lets you do the new game plus and it lets you redo the game and do it with different decisions, different 
kind of element and I've I've come to love how it handles that and how it does have that element to it but ordinarily in the majority of cases when it comes to missable content I don't like it at all I'm I'm okay with Persona 5 now but at first yeah it did get on my nerves just give players the option to kind of reset things undo things something I'd noticed recently in a Sonic Mania Plus which is the new version of Sonic Mania in the uh, options menu they let you delete your save data but you delete specific aspects of your save data. So, so you oh, in time trial, for example, you can delete your time trial records. Like it used to be, they'll just remain, but now you can delete them. If you don't like them, if it's like, you know, I recorded the best time at this level, but I don't like it. I don't want it there anymore. Delete it, get rid of it. If it's like, I've beaten all the bonus stages, but I want to undo that. Yeah, delete it, get rid of it. If it's like, I want to delete this specific aspects, like certain unlockable here. Yeah, get rid of it, it's fine. Or if I just want to want to delete everything and all my save data, you can do that too. And I love that. I love that it lets players completely customize their save data. And, and I'm not necessarily someone mm. where I think uh, this is another argument. Um, people say like you should be able to go into any game and customize the difficulty, so you could go on Cuphead and make it really easy. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think if game developers want their game to be really hard, that's completely within their right. Like, like they want it to be hard, they want it to be challenging, and they want you to train and practice before you can beat it. I totally get that. That's completely fine. I support that. But I think when it comes to like your save data and your accomplishments and what you've done and what you have yet to do, let players control that. Let players have sort of, you know, for completionist sake, let them have uh, mm-hmm. control over that. And don't just have it so, like, if you do something, the game will record it. I hate it. And again, this is just me being awkward and annoying. But if you, like, play a level in a game and it just records your best time and your best score and you can't do anything about it, I fucking hate it. I don't want that. I just want to play the level. I don't want you to record me. I don't want you to tell me how good I've done. Just let me do it. If I want to record my best time and best score, I will. But if I don't want to, let me delete it. Let me get rid of that because I don't want that locked. I know that is really, really awkward, but so many games do it and I fucking hate it. Give players the option to have that done. Um, And all this to say Octopath Traveler does this in most cases, so it's good. (laughs) (laughs) Looping that back around. Yeah, and yeah, well, that's really what it boils down to is just give the player the option. Yeah. I'm not necessarily saying like, because there's a certain point where it's like, okay, well, at that point, you know, is this really our game anymore? But if you create systems and put those systems in place in your game to where the player has the agency to decide how they want to play and experience your game, that is all for the better. Like, I absolutely love how the job system works. Yeah, it's really good. Com- especially compared to, like, previous Square Enix games that use job systems, like it's very fluid and very malleable. And there's still um, like rules inherent to that. Like you can't change the base jobs of each yeah, character. They're yeah. still locked into those. And they all have their own unique skills character-wise as well. Like Theron can only open the chest and you need to have them in your party for that. So there's still rules involved, but there's still lots of player freedom and that's great. Yeah. I have um, both Cyrus and Firion in my party like permanently because of his chest ability and then because of Cyrus's um, like uh, enemy weakness ability. 
<laughs> I try to make sure every enemy I encounter, I unlock their weaknesses. And again, like for completionist sake, I'd love it if there was a bestiary in the game where it could tell you all the enemies, which ones you're missing and which weaknesses you're missing as well. So you could go through and like, encounter all the enemies and encounter all their weaknesses. Um, one, one other thing I'd really like it if Octopath did, but they've obviously not done this, there's certain weapons, like the forbidden weapons, for example, like mm-hmm. I don't know if you've come across them. Yeah, um, I've got a few. There's only, I think there's like only a couple in the game and you can't buy them from shops as far as I know. You you have to find them either in chests or from NPCs, but mm-hmm. you can sell them. And once you've sold them, you can't get them back. And it's, I, I don't like that. I don't like if a game gives you, an, it gives you an exclusive <laughs> item, but it's like, you can get rid of this. Um, and I don't know, it, to me, that's just a bit annoying. It's like, I don't want that to be a thing. Let me know if it's an exclusive item. And if it is, lock it into my inventory so I can't get rid of it. I don't know. I, I just think that'd be cool. Or maybe even better, have it so when you've unlocked it uh, or you found it in the overworld, have it so it transfers to the shop. So then you can sell it, but you can rebuy it later. So mm. it's not lost. It's not gone forever. You can rebuy it. And yeah, have it so it's really expensive by all means. Like have it so it's a few hundred thousand. But I think that's really cool. Because again, it's about nothing's missable or in this case, losable. You can't lose it. You can't have it gone forever. It, mm-hmm. it can come back if you earn the money. Uh, so that's something I, I just really value in games when they respect the players and say, it's okay, whatever you do, sell anything you want, buy anything you want. It's all rectifiable with money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is true for life. That is true for, for capitalist society. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. I mean, yeah, but it just it just ties into like Octopath's whole design philosophy and like you know what your article was talking about, man. Just play play the play the fucking game how you yeah. want to play it. Mm-hmm. That's true. It does give you a lot of options, um, and I think that's really cool. So, yay for Octopath. Anyways, Octopath is progressing away from from video games, going from our video game interlude, going back to anime. Uh, Matt, you recently wrote an article about Cells at Work, which is a new anime that's been airing about the human oh, yeah. body. And uh, you are an immunologist, is that how you say it? Oh, no, no, no. I'm definitely not an immunologist. Um, <laughs> I, um, I, have, uh, I have some immunology background, uh, but ah. essentially, uh, to put it simply, I'm a cancer researcher, yeah. You're a cancer researcher? Yes. Oh, that's pretty I work, cool. Yeah, I cool. work for a biotech firm. Well, I'm actually a cancer promoter. So we're <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're, we're, we're gonna butt heads. No, cancer sucks. It's uh, yeah. it's pretty Ooh. shitty. Um, yes. So yeah. So cells at work is about the human body, and we wanted to raise the question of how a lot of anime series really accurately portray very niche topics, things that are popular within their own kind of uh, subculture. But in the mainstream, they're not particularly common or they maybe feature more sort of nuanced knowledge. And Cells at Work quite decently portrays immunology. And Matt, you wrote a great article about it recently discussing that it does have some issues, but generally it tries to portray it quite smartly. Right. Uh, I wanted to raise a question, like a lot of anime does that kind of thing really well. Uh, and yeah, Matt, what do you think to sales at work and what's your opinion on it as somebody with a background of immunology? Right. And so, like I said before, it's, it's really astonishing the amount of detail and attention 
that the show gives. And to give a little bit of background for people who haven't seen Cells at Work by chance, uh, if you've heard of the old cartoon series Osmosis Jones, it's basically an anime version of that where like you have all the cells in your body that are personified as anime characters. You have Red Blood Cell Chan as the main character. You have White Blood Cell Kun or San as the other main character, so on and so forth. None of them actually have names because that'd be weird. Um, it's just all these uh, random things that happen in the body. And the way it portrays it, it, it brings it down to a, an understandable level and an entertaining level as well for people to watch. Like anyone, you don't need to have any sort of medical background or knowledge to enjoy the show because it's just good fun. It doesn't take itself seriously. Uh, the very first episode is about pneumonococcus or pneumonia. And it's just all about how this this bacteria that looks like some sort of alien invader, like tentacles coming out of it and everything, it kind of invades the body and you have the white blood cells come and they just kill it with knives. And it's like this big action scene and it's just good fun. But at the same time, it says like, oh yeah, this, th this bacteria has a cell capsule and it makes it difficult for the neutrophil to get it. I'm like, that's, that's true. And they portray that cell capsule as like a shield that the knife can't cut through. And it's really impressive how it does all of this. And at the same time, I just watched this week's episode as well, literally 30 minutes before we started recording. Up until this point, the show had been kind of uh, dabbling with like well-known conditions, but also like not super life-threatening or serious conditions. So the first one, okay, pneumonia, pneumonia can be life-threatening, but it's also very treatable. Um, the second one was just like a scrape wound. If you look up cells at work platelets, it's like all the rage now because they're adorable. And, and I had to break everyone's hearts by telling them that they're not technically cells. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then third episode was the flu. Everyone knows what the flu is and so on and so forth. It was all good fun. And then this week's episode actually was cancer, which I was very surprised that they did because cancer obviously is a very serious condition. It's very life-threatening once it gets to the part. And especially I misinterpreted this episode at first uh, when they show the cancer cell, I thought that it had metastasized, which metastasized. Uh, they go over in the show as well is when cancer cells break off them from the main tumor and they travel throughout the bloodstream and they go get to other parts of the body and that's really really bad news bears it's really hard to recover from that so i saw that and i was like holy shit this person's going to die um but uh, uh it hadn't metastasized actually but that episode the tone had completely shifted from this kind of light-hearted uh atmosphere to this like very serious serious condition and i was impressed by how they managed to take the series that had been lighthearted and jolly and done that tonal shift so well. At the same time, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but the studio, David Productions, it's the same studio who does the JoJo anime, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure oh. anime. <laughs> yeah. <What? laughs> they, cool. went, they went full on huh. JoJo with this episode <laughs> with some of the like defensive oh, mechanisms of, this, of the immune system going against the cancer cells. It was like, like primetime action going on there. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna huh, have but, to watch it because I yeah. love um, I love Star Wars Crusaders <laughs> and Battle in Egypt, like those story arcs of JoJo. Uh, yeah. So I, I yeah, I'll definitely have to watch it then. Yeah. So yeah, if you watch anything, just watch the third episode, which is the flu, and this most recent one, which is cancer. But yes, I'm I'm just very very impressed by the care that's gone into the show, the little details that they throw in, and I'm really interested. I've been meaning to look into the author of the original manga and see what kind of background he or she has. Because it's obvious, if they don't have any background in the medical industry, they've done 
extensive research. Like granted, a lot of this is like basic high level knowledge that you can find with some searching, but it's like a very broad spectrum. It's like an inch deep, but a mile long, you can think of it, of, of knowledge. And it, that's not easy. That's mm -hmm. definitely not an easy thing to do, to look up these facts and then come up with a fun and creative way to portray it that people will enjoy, but also learn something from. And yeah. that's something that doesn't just translate from cells at work, but uh, to get you guys in on the conversation as well, I feel like that applies to sports anime very much as well. How, I, um, I was, mm -hmm. was going to yeah. mention as a good example, Yuri on Ice. Right, where, exactly. Like most people um, don't know too much about ice skating, but that anime is renowned for being very factually accurate on the subject. Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel like a lot of anime does this where anime and manga, where, where they'll, if they're portraying a more niche subject, they'll make sure they get it right. Right. Uh, and here's something I want to mention as an example of where uh, certain like American studios get this wrong. Um, and I wrote an article about this recently. It's about Deadpool 2 and how there's a running joke in it about dubstep, where Deadpool's saying, oh, I love dubstep. And it's a kind of, it's a running joke because most people hate dubstep. And that's the joke. <laughs> Hilarious. Top writing. Um, <laughs> and, and basically the joke is, I think he fights Cable at one point and he plays his favourite dubstep song, which is Bangarang by Skrillex, which everybody's heard. I made the point in my article as somebody who actually loves dubstep, who's actually very passionate about the genre, but Bangarang isn't actually a dubstep song. It's the completely wrong tempo and the completely wrong groove. And the public kind of consensus is that dubstep is any electronic music that's a bit screechy or a bit noisy, but actually, it's specifically 140 to 150 beats per minute with a halftime drum groove, whereas Bangarang is 110 beats per minute huh. with a double-time double, double time drum groove. So like, if, if you take a dubstep beat, you'd be like, boom, boom, bah, boom, kick and snare, and great impression from me. That, that's, <laughs> that's it, though, like, like a, a halftime groove at that speed. But if you say Bangarang, it's like kick, snare, kick, snare, kick, snare. It's a completely different tempo. I probably sound like a fucking idiot right now. So <laughs> I'm impressed. Please, yeah, I, I don't know any of that. Yeah. Yeah, please forgive me. But um, it is like, it's really irritating to see a huge film like that, a huge big budget movie making such an idiotic mistake. And to, to fans of the genre, it's the equivalent of a film saying like, oh, I love death metal. And then they play Nickelback or something. <laughs> it, it's completely fucking wrong. It's not at all the same genre. Admittedly, yeah, like Skrillex was renowned for making some dubstep songs. But again, I'll reiterate, like a lot of what he made was Electro House. You know, he, he probably only made like a, he made some dubstep songs, but he made like lots of trap, lots of Electro House, some Moonbatone, like a real mix of genres, all under the sort of electronic dance music bracket. But it really irritated me that this huge movie with a big budget and with lots of people behind it had such lazy writing. And mm -hmm. so going back to the original point about anime, I think there's a lot of anime and manga that really loves the the topic that they're exploring mm -hmm. and they want mm -hmm. to showcase that and they want to show it off. And I respect that a lot. Yeah, well that's the important that, that's the important part. And you know, even though, you know, that that aspect of, you know, dubstep um might have been a small throwaway line in Deadpool, like it, it was very much different in intention from how it incorporated a very niche subject into, you know, 
its its own story. It was it was there as a throwaway joke, and probably the person who came up with it was like, "Oh, hey, people remember dubstep that." And I I have no particular feelings towards dubstep one way or the other, but I'm willing to bet that whoever came up with that joke was like, "Hey, remember that dubstep trash that came up like eight years ago? Let's throw that yeah. in." They probably just like went on YouTube and you know typed in dubstep, and they probably picked like a random exactly song. yeah, I, I, um, and we're like whatever, they don't give a shit. But you know like 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 you said, yeah, like what's so great about um niche subject uh series like cells at work is um and yeah i would be curious to see if the author you know has a you know some sort of biomed background uh but they very clearly and if they don't they very clearly put the effort in and that's what i love about shows that take these niche topics like like two of my favorite shows from a few seasons ago, a Eurocamp oh, yeah. and a place for oh, the yeah. universe. Like, Double O, yeah. The, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, those, those shows respectively like cover very niche topics, you know, the niche topic of outdoor camping and the other one of how the hell do you fucking travel to Antarctica? <laughs> and it goes super in depth about like very, you know, real topics concepts and executions of those ideas but it also puts it in a very fun context but at the end of the day you know it's like it, it it's topic and subject matters that whoever is making that series you know it very clearly interests them right which blows my mind when you really sit down and think about it for, for manga series and what are you laughing at boy <laughs> well no i i it's a it's laughter of agreement and mostly because like I, I mean, just for my own self, like that's what I love about anime and manga, is it'll take really weird topics. Anyways, you you were oh yeah. So that? like when it comes to manga specifically, because anime, there's a whole team involved with it. Place further than the universe. That was an anime original project. They had a whole team working together to come together with this like grandiose uh, mm-hmm. story, and it worked wonderfully. But for manga series, it's usually one person, maybe two. And this one person not only has extensive knowledge for this very niche subject matter, but is also very talented at storytelling, very talented at, and very talented at art and all these other things that you need to um, make this story to come together. And the one that comes to mind specifically for me is March Comes in Like a Lion. And uh, mm. that one is all, the main story for that. The focus is the main character kind of coming to terms with depression, recovering from depression uh, finding his place in the world. However, uh, he uses the Japanese chess game Shogi as like his unstable pillar of support. And even though Shogi play, has like a third of the focus of the show, you can tell very obviously that the author has put all this effort into these Shogi matches that are going on. How Even though the viewer itself doesn't really understand what's going to happen. They don't, they just say oh, this is happening, they did this move, but they don't explain why that's important, why that was a smart move, really. But just from the intensity of the match, what is going on in their inner monologues can tell like the importance of that and what that means to them. And to be, But at the same time, I'm sure if you did know what Shogi was, if you are a Shogi master, you would be able to look at that board and be like, oh, yes, that really was brilliant. That was very well done. And it really blows my mind that there are individuals out there that have such in-depth knowledge of those kinds of subject matter mm-hmm. and are still able to create this like really 
uh, enchanting story about it, essentially. Mm. I think it's so important to do it. I mean, like, think about the amount of shit films that have done kind of like, if you die in the game, you die in real life. Those mm. kind of things. Like, think about the amount of films that have done that and have gotten video games totally fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because you think about it, like video games are really easy to grasp, but you do get some people, a lot of writers, that just don't particularly understand their subject or they've got a really service level knowledge. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, let's shoehorn that in. And it's, I just, I really hate it. There's the old kind of saying, write about what you know, mm-hmm. write about what you've experienced. And you see people and they don't do that. They write about stuff they know very little about. And it really, really gets on my nerves because I think it's so lazy and so wrong, especially when those things become really popular and get great reviews because I just think it's all fucking wrong. Mm -hmm. And it really, really wound me up. Now, I've not actually seen Deadpool 2. This is all just like what I've heard, but it really wound me up with Deadpool 2 when I I heard all about this because I just thought like, you know, even outside, like it doesn't matter if you hate dubstep, you've got no interest in the genre. That's totally fine. But to see mm-hmm. a big budget movie completely getting something wrong like that, to me, misrepresent it, yeah. Completely misre- re- misrepresenting yeah. a very passionate subculture. Um, admittedly, to a lot of people, they would hate that subculture and they'd hate that music. And that's fine. It's definitely not for everyone. It's very much like a love it or hate it kind of thing. As is a lot of extreme forms of music, you know, death metal is not for everyone, you know, or kind of like weeb chiptune anime kind of stuff isn't for everyone like it's it's you know it's it's divisive of course but if you're ever going to explore any of these things you've got to get it right you've got to show that you know what you're doing you know have the backing of actual artists in the in the scene or 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 you know in in the case of like cells at work it's great that they they know what they're discussing but they uh they actually understand quite a bit about that topic because if they if they were just making it up and just guessing as to how the human body works, you'd immediately notice and just think, this is fucking awful. Mm-hmm. The masses might not notice. They'd be like, oh, this is great. But people mm-hmm. who actually know about the subject would think this is all wrong. And it would be really, really irritating. And I think that's so disrespectful to people who do know about the subject. Fortunately, right. Cells at Work gets it right. And it says, hey, if you know about the subject, it won't be perfect, but we'll try and get it as right as we can. And we'll try yeah. and like do a mm-hmm. good job and we'll maybe alter a few details for the sake of the narrative, but we won't do it out of ignorance. We'll simply do it because it's what kind of works for the narrative, which is understandable. Like, of course, you've got mm. to tweak a few things, change a few yeah, things. Yeah, you got to make it a story. Yeah. Yeah, but covering, like, niche subject matters like that is, like, and getting it right is more or less, like, the same general idea behind adaptations, um, it's like understand your source material and respect mm-hmm. it, which is why many Western anime adaptations are utter garbage. Case in point, Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it just feels like somebody watched Ghost in the Shell, picked out like the best visually looking scenes and strung it together without really understanding why people loved the original in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, guys, do you want to plug your Twitters, as the kids are saying these days? <laughs> yeah, my uh, hip and happening Twitter handle is at MusingMojak, M-U-S-I-N-G-M-O-J-A-C-K. You can also find me on Goomba Stomp. And speaking of niche anime, I have one recommendation for you. It's called Chihaya Furu, 
which is all about Karuta, which if you don't know what Karuta is, that's fine because I didn't know what it was either. But man, was I into it after watching that show. I watched some matches and wow, it's uh, it's intense. So yeah, I'll leave you off at that. Good stuff. And Kyle, what's your Twitter? Uh, I am at like the rogue on Twitter. I still like roguelikes. Still like it. That, that, that's that's Same where that's coming time. from. The, the day the day I don't like roguelikes is the day my online handle becomes irrelevant. <laughs> uh, but yeah, follow follow me if I, I I post a lot of opinions about video games and cute anime girls. And I've also seen Chihaya Furu, and it's it's definitely weird and niche. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's out there, but it's cool. It's interesting, and it's got a cute main yeah. girl. That's all you need in anime. <laughs> I'm a cute main girl. Anyways, uh, just don't know why I said that. <laughs> just just said that. What's the benefit of saying that? Anyways, my Twitter handle is Harry underscore Morris underscore all lowercase. Uh, I sometimes retweet a dubstep artist, or I might post a, an article I wrote. Nothing particularly interesting, but uh, feel free to follow me. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll hopefully catch you in the next episode. Cheers.